Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton, and we're your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. This is episode number 29 of a 50-part series that we are doing, where the episodes are based on a different crime in each state in the United States of America and are in alphabetical order, which means today's case will be based on a crime in New Hampshire. All right, let's hear your joke of the day, Anton, and then I will get into the case that I selected. How do you make an egg roll? I have no idea. How do you make an egg roll? You push it. (laughs) You know, we were just talking about egg rolls the other night. We were, yes. Yeah. Mm, Love me some good Chinese food. Oh, I love me a good egg roll. Me too. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just a forewarning to listeners, this case is very messy. It's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. And I did my best to decipher it and give you guys the best information based off of sources. So just bear with me as I go through the case that I've chosen. So today's case, like I said, is a New Hampshire-based case, but I am actually going to start in California in 1978. It was Thanksgiving Day when Marlise Elizabeth Honeychurch was visiting her family for the holiday. Marlise was born in 1954 and was married two times, and with each husband, she had a daughter. One of her daughters was named Mary, and the other daughter was named Sarah, and they were six years apart in age. So on this Thanksgiving Day in 1978, Marlise was visiting her family. She had brought with her a new boyfriend, and his name was Terry Rasmussen. Terry was a little bit older, had some, you know, horrible mannerisms, and was ultimately a slob. It was said that on this specific Thanksgiving, Marlise and her mom actually got into a disagreement, which on holidays, I feel like getting into disagreements or arguments is so tough. I feel like it kind of runs, you know, like the holiday spirit. but... It happens a lot, it sounds like. I feel like it does happen a lot, especially with families that don't get together very often, and then topics come up that probably aren't the best to come up on holidays. But on this specific holiday, Marlise and her mom didn't get into a disagreement about politics or the Nintendo Switch or anything like that. I guess it was about the boyfriend. Yes. They got into a disagreement about why was she dating him and how he was way too old for her and all anyone can really remember from this specific event is that they left and ultimately disappeared and were never seen again the family looked for years but no one was actually ever able to find her or her two daughters again ever they were never seen again never to be found again never and they tried a lot they had pis they had investigations they had, yeah like multiple different people looking yeah. Mm -hmm. That is insane. And they were never seen again. So who is this unknown Terry Rasmussen? Terry was born in Denver, Colorado on December 23rd, 1943. Terry ended up moving with his family and was actually raised in Arizona for the most part. While growing up in Arizona, he attended elementary school and middle school like normal and went to North High School in Phoenix. But as he hit his sophomore year of high school, he actually ended up dropping out. Shortly after dropping out in 1960, he actually enlisted in the Navy in 1961 and served for about six years and ended up being discharged in 1967. After being discharged in 67, Rasmussen moved to Hawaii to work at his parents' shoe shop they had there. In July of 1968, just shortly after he moved there, he was working at the shoe shop and he actually ended up meeting and marrying his first wife and then ended up relocating back to Phoenix, Arizona, where they ended up welcoming two twin daughters. Well, not two sets of twin daughters. They ended up they welcoming had two daughters. <laughs> they that had were two twins. daughters that were twins, yes. 
While living in Arizona, he worked as an electrician, which ended up being very fruitful for him and his family as he was able to flourish in this field and then relocated again and moved his family to Redwood City, California, and he continued to thrive as a certified electrician. During this time in Redwood City, they would welcome a son. As years passed and their children grew, it was now 1972, and the Rasmussens welcome another daughter. But with the welcoming of a new child, things should be happy and exciting and you should be thriving. But this is when their marriage starts to fall apart. It was reported that Rasmussen started to physically abuse his entire family, including his children and his wife. I wonder, like, what changed? I don't know. And you'll see, as this is a very, very messy timeline with his his whole story, but... We, so you can kind of 70s, see it going. Right? Like nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can kind of see it. He was in the process of escalating, and he was lashing it out on his family. It was also said that he burned his son with the butts of cigarettes. That was one of the means of abuse that he did to his children. So by nineteen seventy-five, which is three years later, so I mean the abuse was going on for a few years. The abuse ended up being too much, and. Even during this time, Rasmussen actually ended up being arrested for aggravated assault. And then after the arrest, I think this was kind of like the last straw. And kind his like, wife... Yeah, the tipping point. Mm-hmm, his wife ends up leaving him and taking the children with her. And As divorce, she should have earlier. Yeah, yeah. And remember, this is the 70s. I feel like divorce is not as... It wasn't as common. It wasn't as common. It wasn't as promoted. You're a woman. You're supposed to be more dependent upon your spouse, who is a man, and you're taking care of the home and the children. And so for her to leave was huge. And her divorce ended up being finalized, I believe, in 1978. So it did take a few years. years But they were separated during that entire time. So after the separation, Rasmussen suddenly visits his ex-wife and children in Payson, Arizona. At this visit, which is reportedly the last time they ever see him, Rasmussen is seen with an unidentified woman who to this day has still never been identified or has come forward. The visit is short, but he ultimately relays to his family that he is living in Texas now. This guy already has a choppy life, and like I said, it only gets worse, because by the late 70s, Rasmussen is no longer going by Rasmussen. He is going by Bob Evans and many, many more aliases. Just to give you an idea of how messy his alias has got, let me tell you just a handful of situations he had with his different identities. On Thanksgiving, which is now in 1981 in New Hampshire, Rasmussen had a girlfriend by the name of Denise Buden, who also at the time had a six-month-old daughter, and her boyfriend's name was alias Bob Evans. After this visit with her family, no one ever saw Denise again. A few years passed, and in 1986, now back in California, A handyman by the name of Gordon Jensen had a five-year-old daughter named Lisa, and they lived together in an RV park. Just a few months later, his daughter was nowhere to be seen, and he reported to everyone that his daughter had just been adopted by a nice older couple. However, the truth came out that this was in fact Rasmussen acting as Jensen, and he had abandoned his so-called daughter with a random couple. She ended up getting put in protective custody because this couple was not under the assumption that this was now their Yeah, daughter. like he probably just he was just like, left him. here you go. Mm-hmm. Just a year before, he was pulled over for a DUI and was going as Curtis Mayo Kimball at this time. 
So this is identity four. Yeah. He. Oh, and he I guess has technically so many three, more. This is just but... a handful of them. There's many, many more. He was able to like easily pull out all of these aliases to cover his tracks in every state that he was in because he was in so many states across the U.S. Finally, by 1989, Rasmussen was caught and arrested and charged for child abandonment of his daughter, Lisa, and ended up being charged with a three-year sentence but only served a year because he was paroled. Rasmussen ends up dropping off the radar for years and continues to use these various aliases as to cover his tracks. Now, in 1985, this is a few years back, an 11-year-old by the name of Jesse Morgan was playing hide-and-go-seek with his friends in the Bearbrook State Park in New Hampshire. So, like I said, this case is everywhere. Yeah, it's going from state to state. I know, it's it's crazy. It's almost hard to keep up with. I know. So we are in 1985 now, and we are back in New Hampshire. And these friends are just playing hide-and-seek innocently when suddenly they stumble upon an old barrel that seemed innocent enough, and it was just right off the trail. Jesse claims that it was just a rusted, dark blue barrel. I mean, these are kids. It's just a barrel. What can be so wrong? The boys end up taking the lid off the barrel, and the foulest and most potent smell came out, and it ultimately scared the boys off. So the barrel ended up falling on its side and the boys ran away. And I think anyone at that age smelling I mean, something like something that. Something like that smell would definitely haunt people even now. Well, and it would make you run. I mean, I feel like they probably thought they got into something they shouldn't have. Yeah. So it was only a few months after this encounter that the boys had when, with finding the barrel that a hunter called into the local p- police station reporting a barrel that he had found in the woods and also reported that there were bones sticking out of the barrel. Police were able to go to the scene and they retrieved the bones that belonged to the body of a woman aged between 23 to 33 years old and then a little girl aged between 8 to 10 years old. The medical examiner was able to conclude that they both had died due to blunt force trauma to the head. However, we're in the 80s and no missing person reports matched that of these two bodies and these bodies were disintegrated. I mean, they were just bones in a barrel. Sure, yeah, they were very decomposed at yeah. this time. So the bones were laid to rest in a grave that detailed the circumstances of their ages, where their bodies were found and when they were found. Fast forward to June of 2000. When they exhumed the bodies for further DNA testing, and during this exact time, they end up finding a second barrel that was only 100 yards from the first one. So this is like 15 years later, they exhumed the bodies that are both Jane Doe's, and then they conveniently find a second barrel. Another barrel. Mm -hmm. Another blue barrel. Yes. Now... From where the bodies were buried? No, this was a second barrel found in the same state park 100 yards from where the first barrel barrel was was. In the second barrel, they found the bodies of a small child and a baby. DNA testing had still not advanced enough, and because they didn't have any ties to, like, any missing people, so they couldn't, you know, pull dental records or anything, they were still unable to determine who these four bodies belonged to. So, although they had these bodies, there was nothing they could do with them. They have no idea who it is. Yeah. So this may seem like a random piece to the puzzle, but like I said, it all fits in the end. Now, like I said, Rasmussen held many different names, and after his arrest for child abandonment, he fell off the radar until 1999. At this time, Rasmussen is known as Larry Vanner, who is now dating a chemist by the name of Unsun Jun, 
who is known to be around 40 years old at this time. Vanner and June were married in a low-key casual ceremony in 2001, and by 2002, June was nowhere to be found. This was only two years after June had initially introduced Vanner to her family. Vanner, who we know as Rasmussen, tried to dodge suspicions and questions of where June was from family and friends. But ultimately, the sheriff was called because of these suspicions and concerns, and a detective ends up being assigned, and Vanner's story kept changing when he was asked. And oftentimes we see with this, when a story is changing frequently, it's either... They're hiding something. They're hiding something, they know something, or they're They're just plain... Yeah, they're guilty or they're just crazy. Which, to the de- detectives, it was the latter. They just thought he was so suspicious. They, they really thought that he knew something and they weren't disclo- he wasn't disclosing it. So while authorities are searching their home, they end up finding a random large pile of cat litter in the crawl space. And I mean, not this little tiny pile. It's like four feet wide, four feet to five feet wide, and two to three feet high. I mean, this is a massive amount of cat litter. The thing that threw off the detectives was that there was no odor coming from the cat litter, which obviously, you know, cat litter is supposed to be an odor protectant. You shouldn't smell anything. But it seemed odd because it was in a crawl space, which is usually known to be. Well, and the fact that there was so much of it, too. So after searching through the cat litter, the police end up finding a human foot that was mummified and wearing a flip-flop. The full body of a woman ended up being pulled from the pile of cat litter, and it was later identified as June, and she also had been killed by blunt force trauma to the head. Now, doesn't that manner of death sound pretty... Similar. Yes, to what we've covered. Vanner, like I said, who is Rasmussen, ends up being arrested for the murder of June, and he is fingerprinted and ends up being tied to his many other aliases and charges. And so the aliases that he held, he had like DUI charges. He had, Yeah, he probably had a multiple He had multiple charges. charges across all of these. So he was charged with June's homicide, but he also ended up being charged with all of the other charges tied to his aliases. Rasmussen ends up pleading guilty to the charges really quickly. Obviously, they had a lot of evidence. This is great for police and detectives. I mean, they literally pulled her know, body from, from his their house. Call well, and then they end up being able to confirm that um, when he had bought the cat litter and how much cat litter he yeah. bought. So they were, I mean, he had no, he had no way of being able to win that case. So at the sentencing, he ends up being found guilty and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison, and he ends up dying of natural causes behind bars in 2010. Now, you might be wondering how everything fits into this and how the barrel and the four bodies fit in. Well, in 2019, the bodies of the four were actually identified because of locals doing a bit of recreational investigation, which ended up tying back to a mother Marlise Honeychurch and her two daughters who went missing. And at the time, Honeychurch was dating Rasmussen. They were then able to identify the mother and her two daughters, and the young child was not Honeychurch's, so the baby was not hers. But it was confirmed via DNA to be Rasmussen's biological daughter. To this day, the biological daughter has still never been named, nor has the mother, And we are to assume that because he had this, like, decades-long killing spree, somewhere her body probably lays, and we have no idea who it is. The mother of the baby that was found in the barrel. Mm -hmm. That's very possible, yeah. 
Yeah, it is said that Rasmussen, who is known as the chameleon killer, killed many people across multiple states. And although he is dead, murders and abductions are still being tied to him today because of DNA, because of the timeline that they're able to build out in the different states and aliases he held. They're able to tie together people who went missing around that same time who had associates or associations with Rasmussen. With Rasmussen. And that is the messy case and timeline of the chameleon killer and his known and unknown victims to this day. Wow, yeah, that is a great case. Yeah. Do you remember Denise Buden, who I mentioned at the beginning, who had the five-month or the six-month-old daughter? Yeah. At this time, he held the alias of Bob Evans, and he was visiting the family during Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has come out that the five-year-old who was Lisa was actually the six-month-old of Denise Buden. And he ended up, we believe, or people believe, the sources said that Denise was probably killed at some point, and he ended up not killing the baby and ended up claiming her as his own. But at the end of the day, they don't know what the motive was, like what his motive was behind abducting her and then just child abandonment. Because they ended up being able to prove that Lisa had no biological DNA to Rasmussen. So she was not his daughter in any way. And so that is just crazy because that would make his victim list even more high. And whoever this Lisa is, who is now much, much older, you know, she's a victim in a different way because she had her life ripped from her that she would have never known and Denise, we don't even know where she's at. Her body probably is. I mean, there's probably these blue barrels. If that's everywhere. the way if that that's he the way disposed, he did it, yeah. From what it sounds like, it did. Maybe there's cat litter everywhere too. That's true. We don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it's very sad to see that someone that young was had her whole life taken away from her. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, and. It's just crazy to me that he was able to get away with it for so long. All of the aliases, all of the states he was in. I mean, he was really able to cover his tracks. But thankfully, I mean, a lot of people say they wish he wouldn't have died behind bars because they think he should have served longer and suffered longer in prison. But, I mean, to this day, people are still being able to tie things to him. So in some way, he is being held responsible. Yeah, he's still because, being held accountable for Yeah, we're able to tie his it actions. to him. Yeah, it stinks that he wasn't. He didn't serve more time, but at the same time, he also died in prison. In, of natural causes. Instead of dying just... As a free man. As a free man. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We look forward to you being back here next week where Anton will be reviewing a crime from the state of New Jersey. Until then, this is your Couple of Criminals. Signing off.